I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is the Anxiety Bites podcast, and I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Welcome to another episode of Anxiety Bites. I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Today, we are talking about toxic positivity. Now, you might be thinking, I love to think positively. It's really helped me, and I do a vision board, and I like to have hope. And we're not saying don't do that. We're talking about toxic positivity. So my guest today is the author of the book, Toxic Positivity, Keeping It Real in a World Obsessed with Positive Thinking. Whitney Goodman. As it says on her website, every day we're bombarded with pressure to be positive from good vibes only and life is good memes to endless advice to look on the bright side. We're constantly told that the key to happiness is silencing negativity wherever it crops up in ourselves and in others. Even when faced with illness, loss, breakups, and other challenges, 
there's little space for talking about our real feelings and processing them so that we can feel better and move forward. But if all of this positivity is the answer, why are so many of us anxious, depressed, and burned out? Aha, that is why. She's a guest today on Anxiety Bites because, once again, there is thinking positive and then there's subjecting yourself to toxic positivity where you feel an internalized pressure, whether it comes from people in your life or just subtle messages you get from culture, even Instagram accounts you might scroll, or even just comparing your insides with other people's outsides and you think, I just have to think positive and, you know, this is all within my control. I can manifest this. All of that kind of pressure is like swallowing a poison pill on the inside and it'll eventually make you anxious, depressed, and burned out. So there's a way to look at your life where you make plans, you hope for the best, and you prepare for the fact that it may not work out the way you wanted to. And that doesn't mean you did something wrong or you've accidentally attracted negativity. It just means you're a human living life in a world that's very random. And we can only control things so much. I know that the number one thing anxious people want is control. And again, we do have a lot of control, mostly over the fact that we can control how we react to the fact that we don't have a lot of control. (laughs) And so we can take a more flow with it kind of vibe, um, or we can take a kind of let's deny everything terrible vibe, keep it positive. I know I don't have control over the world, but let me just put up my blinders. And again, you may want to rethink that. So if you're one of those people, maybe check this episode out. If you're someone that is thinking, I knew it. I knew it. I knew this friend that never really listens to what I'm saying and just tells me everything happens for a reason. Or I knew it. I knew something was weird about that. I feel so gross every time I get advice like that. It just doesn't feel right. I feel like I'm not being heard. Then this is the episode for you because it is backed by science and psychology that that really doesn't help us. So instead of hearing me go on and on, we'll get right to my interview with Whitney Goodman. So obviously, Whitney Goodman is the author of that book we just talked about. You can go to her website called sitwithwit.com, and I will link to it in the show notes. Whitney is a therapist, author, and mother who is transforming the way we speak about mental health and she believes that when we understand how to make how to make how to make our emotions work for us anything is possible she also has a great instagram account that we also talk about on the show um you know there's a lot of instagram therapists out there but i really enjoy whitney's account because she again kind of takes apart the tropes and the memes that you know, say we can manifest things and that's what we should be doing. And so her Instagram is at sitwithwit, W-H-I-T. And um, one of my favorite quotes that she says is, life isn't meant to be one endless self-improvement project. You don't have to pursue health and self-improvement 24-7. You're allowed to watch movies and TV with no educational component. You're allowed to do nothing. You're allowed to sleep. You're allowed to eat food just because it tastes good. You're allowed to read something fun. You're allowed to move your body for enjoyment. And you're even allowed to scroll on social media. So check out her Instagram page if you want to learn more about not getting stuck in the self-improvement spiral. Of course, do all that 
after you listen to this episode. What would be a toxically positive way for us to start this episode? What would you, I'm putting you on the spot. (laughs) What would I say to you if I were going to be uh, full of toxic positivity? Oh gosh, maybe something like you're here today because everything happens for a reason. And, um, you know, everything that led up to this moment is, is why we're here together. And you are here for a reason. That reason is, is that you said yes to my request to be on the show. That is true. <laughs> um, so yeah, your book, and I'm holding it up even though this is an audio podcast, Toxic Positivity, Keeping It Real in a World Obsessed with Being Happy by you, Whitney Goodman. I wanted to start right out. Um, you say in the book that the reason people are so attracted to positive thinking, which I know is different than toxic positivity, is that it gives us the illusion of hope and control. And, you know, that's all that anxious people want, really, is a sense of control. And so take us through what is toxic positivity as opposed to having a positive thought? Like, you know what? I feel good this morning. Today's going to be great. I assume what I just said is a positive thought that's not toxic. Absolutely. So toxic positivity really hinges on the timing, the audience, and the topic that's being discussed. So something could be quite positive in one situation and, and kind of go into toxic territory in another. And what toxic positivity is, is really this like overarching pressure, this demand to be happy, positive, seeking that out all the time no matter what the circumstances. And I find that it becomes toxic in these moments where people are really struggling and having a hard time and someone is using positivity as a way to help them cope with that. Right. And and a lot of times it's imposed on us, you're saying too, by someone who's giving us advice. A lot of times yeah. unsolicited. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I think it's imposed on us from other people. We impose it on ourselves. And it's also just like this cultural force, especially in the United States that we experience, you know, the right to the pursuit of happiness and all of that. Yeah. So you're saying um, in your book that positivity gives us the illusion of, of hope and control. And I found the word hope really interesting. I get that it gives us a sense of control or, or the illusion of control, which is, again, as an anxious person, I was in search of that my whole life. And honest to God, for me, things didn't get better until I accepted I don't have control and I, I kind of found the um, almost re- relaxation in that. Uh, mm-hmm. But hope, now, am I, am, I, am I not understanding what you mean by hope? Because is hope an illusion or, you know, is what's wrong with hope? And I know you're not saying anything's wrong with it, but I'm, no. <laughs> I'm being the devil's advocate. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I think that there's nothing wrong with hope. It's when we're telling people that that's the only feeling, that's the only thing they can think about is that they need to have hope, they need to have a positive outlook, especially when mm. things are just kind of shitty, you know? Like yeah. if somebody has just passed away, you know, I've heard people, you know, lost a child, something like that, and we're saying like, well, you just have to hope that it's going to get better or that something positive mm. is going to come along. And yes, hope is powerful and it's good, but I think we use that sometimes to really pull people out of situations that they might need to grieve or or be in for a moment. So 
It sounds like, I mean, as with anything with anxiety and mental health, we kind of have to lean into how we're feeling instead of trying to cover it up. Now, if covering it up worked, awesome. Let's cover up our feelings. Let's move on. Let's have a great life. But I'm assuming that when we cover things up and being overly positive as a way to just kind of skirt how we're feeling, how someone else is feeling, it will come back to bite us in the ass, right? Like what actually happens in our psyche, in our body, in our nervous system, you know, let's say, let's give the example of what you, you know, you talk in the book about, you know, people getting fired and it's like, you're fun employed, <laughs> you know, would be <laughs> yes. like a toxic positivity uh, framing. So let's just say someone's going through something that's objectively hard. It's not a, it's not an emotional experience they're having where they're like afraid to be on a plane that's totally not crashing, but they really lost their job. They are getting a divorce, they, whatever. And first of all, when other people tell you to be positive, it is so dismissive. It's almost like they can't handle feelings. And mm -hmm. so they want to be comfortable. So they're putting this crap on you. But let's take it back to the person doing it to themselves. If they have almost this neurosis about like, if I'm negative, I'll attract negative energy. So I got to stay positive about this unemployment. What will eventually happen in weeks, months, years if people never uh, sit with how they're feeling and instead try to cover it up with positivity? Yeah, the research is pretty clear on this, that when we suppress our emotions, we try to stuff them down, they end up just intensifying, getting worse, and maybe coming out in other ways. So I see a lot of people who think they're really doing fine. They're like, oh, I don't have a lot of negative feelings. I'm okay. But their sleep is disrupted. Um, their relationships are strained. Their eating habits are kind of wonky. They're um, maybe using substances excessively, doing a lot of these behaviors that really to me are signs that like you're trying to suppress or control something that might be bothering you. And the longer we do that, the more likely that you're going to see things like anxiety, depression, um, those types of symptoms kind of show up. So by trying to push something away, you're effectively sort of ensuring that it's going to come out and that it's going to come out worse than it was probably. Right. And so when it comes out worse later, it's not even like the feeling you have later isn't even associated probably with the original thing. So now you've got two problems, right? Yeah. And I think that's why when people come to therapy, a lot of the times they present a problem that isn't really the problem. And so you're working with a therapist and saying like, okay, how can we connect this back to maybe this original thing that you're not seeing how it's tied together? Sometimes we're just talking about symptoms. It seems like something like toxic positivity really can throw a wrench in anyone's development, like let alone their progress. Like if they haven't even ever had a need to go to therapy. This seems like you do enough of this for a few years and you're really slowing down like any development that you could have. Yeah. You're really inhibiting your ability to learn how to solve problems, um, mm. to work through things, to create different types of solutions. And that's what we see a lot with the research on positive thinking is that when people say, this is all going to work out, I don't need to worry about it. 
they're not engaging in any type of critical thinking of like, what could go wrong? What problems could I run into? What skills do I need to have? Um, Then it can leave you feeling really inept in a lot of situations and wondering why they didn't work out. That's really interesting that people are unlearning. Well, they're not even unlearning. They're not learning a life skill. So you could actually probably reach some success, right? Like with positive thinking, I don't know if it's that you actually managed, you know, that a person actually managed to make it happen or it's just a coincidence, but let's just say someone only does the positive thinking. They don't feel their feelings. They don't learn to solve problems. Now they've become the CEO or the celebrity, whatever. Um, I, is this why I see a lot of successful people who are kind of like helpless babies? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, you're making me think of, I've been watching all the shows about like the WeWork guy and Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos. And like, when you watch these shows, you kind of see that positive attitude that borders on delusion in some of these yes. high powered people. Right. And so that can get you so far, but when things start to fall apart around you, if you're stuck in this space of like, it's all going to work out, it's meant to be, and you can't look at the problem and say, we have fires to put out here. That's where the anxious person who's able to call it out and say, we got to do something about this is probably going to be more successful. (laughs) Yeah. I was just thinking about, um, you know, people with like 55 assistants and like, you know, you read all these, I follow this account on Instagram, which speaking of toxic, but I can't get enough of it. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a gossip account. Okay. And I've been reading recently about um, these assistants who, you know, work for celebrities and the things they have to do, like run to the person's house at 3am because they don't know how to use their freezer, you know, things like Right. I'm not blaming it on toxic positivity, but I do think there's a correlation between it takes a lot to to achieve a certain amount of like material success. And I think a lot of times the roads people take um, do kind of block them from learning a lot of life skills at the very least, let's say that. And then the anxiety of like, I don't know how to use my freezer. It's 3 a.m. You're calling someone and making them get out of bed to do it. (laughs) Like, I just find that like, so interesting for people out there listening who think like, you know, this is the way to get everything you want. Um, And it's like, maybe, but maybe there's a price with that. And it sounds like what you're saying is that you kind of don't develop really. Yeah. Yeah. And some people just get lucky at the end of the day, you know? And so, yeah, you talked about the notion of like, that some people say, change your thoughts, change your life. And that's very attractive, right? Because as you said, it taps into our biggest fear, which is uncertainty. So what do you, what do you do with that? Like, what do you do with, with patients who are struggling with uncertainty and they, they really want something like a, oh, if I just change my thoughts, my life will change solution. Like, how do you wrangle that out of their little hands? Yeah. So People are very drawn to that. And I think we have to normalize and and depathologize the human condition and tell people really that uncertainty is actually quite normal. I, I find what my clients are talking about a lot is that like, I'm the only one that feels this way. Other people are so sure. They know what they want. And that comparison, I think, is what drives people into this place of like, I have to change this about myself. And of course, as you know, as someone who talks about anxiety and has lived with it, like 
there's a level of uncertainty that becomes debilitating and incapacitating. And that's not what I think we should be normalizing. But I think there's this middle road where uncertainty can actually give us a lot of gifts of like trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what's important to us, what we want, um, what we don't want. And if we don't have that, we miss out on so much data um, and, and so many life skills that I try to teach people how we can use uncertainty to our advantage and also normalize it, you know, within limits. Right. So if I'm sitting here, well, I am in a phase of uncertainty in my life. I um, live on both coasts. I don't know if I'll be able to do that next year. I, I write for a living for television, but it's not like you work at a bank for 40 years and they give you a watch and you retire. It's like, what show do I work on next year? Will anyone hire me? You know, there's so many factors and I'm always in a state of uncertainty. And so I have to kind of be like, okay, well, the certainty is that there is uncertainty, but I have this resume, this pedigree, this whatever, and I'll figure something out. But whenever I've tried to force it and be like, you know what, this is how my career has to go. I've been wrong. And like, honestly, better things have happened than I could have imagined. And so like, if I got everything I wanted, my life might actually be smaller than it is today, you know? Um, and it was because of the uncertainty, like the the pandemic, the, I mean, it's still going on, but like the first six months of lockdown and no vaccine. And I was sitting at home working, but I was thinking, I, I don't know what I, I've had enough time to sit home and think, what do I want in, in the next phase of my life? You know? And that's where I came up with the idea for this podcast. I probably wouldn't have thought to do that if I didn't right. have this massive six months of complete uncertainty about, you know, the world. I mean, not just me, but, you know, the world. And it's not an attractive thing to offer someone, right? If I were to mentor someone and say, well, it all came together for me during a global pandemic. I mean, nobody, <laughs> nobody's like, oh, cool. Let me, um, you know, hope that that happens. And so is there a way to make it attractive to people to like calm down with the needing to figure it out? Like, how can we not just normalize it, but make it seem like, hey, it's kind of cool to be into not knowing? I mean, I think you kind of just did that. And I want to point out for anyone listening, like what you just did, because I think it was the opposite of toxic positivity. Mm. and like so well aligned of like saying, my career is really uncertain. My life has been really uncertain. This is what's like hard about it and validating that. And then saying, And I know I have my resume to fall back on. I know I have this pedigree. I know I have this thing. And I have created something in moments of uncertainty in the past that has worked out even better for me. And I think the way you just talked about how both can exist is actually really like liberating to me, at least like that's where I feel freedom is like, okay, and validate what's hard and what's going on now. And also believe in the potential that things could get better and even be great. We'll be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. In your book, you talk about the law of attraction and and you ask, like, can you really manifest anything? Um, and you talk about what the law of attraction promises, which is that if you feel negative emotions, you attract negativity. If you cultivate positive emotions, things are drawn to you. And you say, as we just kind of discussed, not everything that comes your way is because you attracted it. And you say, you know, the world can be cruel and random. And and I'm assuming on the flip side, the world can be awesome and random. But, you know, it's like, I'm joking a little bit, but like you are going up against like a huge societal thing that has been kind of, I'm not going to say shoved down our throats, but I will say ever present ever since really Oprah started validating, speaking of validating this thing. And maybe Oprah understands what she's saying, but when you kind of put it out there and in the hands of inexperienced people, I think she set off this like shockwave of people thinking they could manifest things. And then if they don't, right, then here comes the shame spiral. So take us through what the problem is with law of attraction or that kind of thinking. Yeah. With any of these things, law of attraction, manifestation, all this stuff that fits in that umbrella. I really think that when it's used in a positive way to say like, I attracted these good things to me, 
Um, I put this out in the world, so I got it back. That's a very positive thing if you're using it in that regard. The problem comes up when the world is cruel and random, and I see so many people who have gone through the unthinkable in life who then kind of come to this conclusion through that rhetoric of like, I attracted this illness, this trauma, this abuse to me because of something that I did. And I've gotten in really spirited conversations with a lot of people about this, that there are people who really do believe that you attracted it in another life, um, that Mm. your mother thought about it while she was pregnant with you. And that's why it came to you. And I find that belief to just not really serve anyone. I've Mm -hmm. seen it bring people into a place where they're constantly on edge about their thoughts, about what they're thinking, about what they're attracting to themselves. And it gets into this dynamic where we're very much like blaming the victim, the person that we should be supporting and helping through something. We're saying like, well, you did this to yourself and you should think a little bit more positive next time or change your thoughts. Mm we're inviting shame to come in, right? Where we're shaming ourselves for not having done it right. And I really am so happy to always talk about shame as this kind of like hidden nugget of what keeps us anxious and panicking. And it really seems like in the weirdest way, it's comfortable in a weird way for people. Like even blaming ourselves can sometimes feel comfortable because it still feels like in a negative way, if I blame myself that's like a negative hope. Like, okay, well, next time I'll not do it, right? Right. I, I think what you're alluding to is like, it gives you some control, actually. It gives you a reason. And that's what a lot of people are looking for is like, I got sick because I did this. I, you know, have panic attacks because I can't be like everybody else and everyone's better than me. And the human brain really likes certainty, likes knowing. And so we mm. create narratives and stories, even if they're bad or they're punishing us, they still feel better than this, like, I wonder why this happened. And I don't know why it happened. That feels scary to us. But we know that things are so multifactorial. And that's like the problem with a lot of the research on this stuff is that you can't look at a person who got well from cancer or something and say, oh, it was just their mindset. It's very very difficult to just pull out that one piece and say nothing else influenced that. Like the opposite of toxic positivity is not negativity, right? Yes. You know, you you have a chapter in your book about making positive affirmations work for you. You know, um, like you're not denying the power of positive language and loving yourself. And I love that you talk about the notion that everyone always says, oh, you, you know, you just love yourself and how you had a therapist <laughs> who would make you say that in the mirror. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was and, so, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just wanted to hear more about that, about, yeah. you know, obviously, yes, we should love ourselves. So how do we, uh, if someone is attracted to something like the law of attraction, how do we allow them to do their version of positive thinking that's not destructive and how, what's the workaround for something where you're screaming into the mirror, I love myself and it doesn't feel right. Like that's not going to make you love yourself. I think the key piece here is that it shouldn't feel um, dismissive, invalidating or untrue for you. So Mm -hmm. 
I was really shocked by the research on positive affirmations just because it's something that I have always been told to use as a therapist. When I started reading the data, I was like, wow, this really doesn't work for people with low self-esteem. Oh, so, that's so fascinating. Yeah. So what yeah. we find or what they have found in, in the very few studies that exist on this is that people with low self-esteem, when they say these things to themselves, it actually can bring up feelings of shame. Like we talked about of like, I know this isn't true. There's cognitive dissonance between like what I think is true about myself and what I'm saying to myself. And uh. so they ultimately end up rejecting it um, or almost looking for reasons to reject it, which puts you back in that negative spiral. So what I've discovered just anecdotally through working with clients is that if you can make the affirmations more believable, more possible, and more dynamic, that mm -hmm. makes them work better. So instead of saying, I love myself, you would say, I am trying to love myself. I am working mm -hmm. on loving myself. I would like to love myself or even breaking it down in like, I show myself love by drinking water. I show myself love by going mm. to bed at night. I'm really trying to back up these affirmations with action. Cause the other thing I see a lot is like, I told myself I love myself 10 times today, but everything else I did was in direct conflict with that. You know, I, I spoke right. negatively to myself. I didn't eat. I didn't sleep. I didn't go outside. So that's not the actions of somebody that loves themselves. And that also creates a big gap between the affirmation and what you're actually doing. Right. Like we can't think ourselves into these actions. We must have to take them, which will build a self-esteem. Right. And then. Right. Right. And, and, and I love that idea. I did affirmations for anxiety and panic and I did what I call true affirmations that they may not be positive, but you know, when you're yes. panicking and you're, you're telling yourself you're going to die, I would say, nobody's died from a panic attack. You've been here before. Yeah, this sucks, but you'll get through it. These aren't lies, you know? No, that's, that's perfect. It's validating yeah. and solid evidence. So you, you prefer a tool that you call WHOOP, W-O-O-P. What is, what is WHOOP? So WHOOP is a tool that was developed by another psychologist that wrote the book, um, Rethinking Positive Thinking. And in this tool, you're really looking at like, what is your ideal wish? Um, what do you want the outcome to be? What obstacles could possibly get in your way? And this is very different from positive thinking in the sense that you're actually looking out for problems that could mm. come up. But you're also thinking about like, what's my ideal outcome? What are the possibilities? What do I want to happen? So you can have this sort of like vision board-esque thing that also includes having, um, you know, a problem solving session and thinking like, well, that might be hard for me to achieve without doing X, Y, and Z. I love that because, you know, anyone listening who might be like, God, I guess life is just cruel and random and we should just let it happen. And it's like, <laughs> no one is saying that. It's okay to make a plan. It's okay to, you know, think about what you want and all of that. It's, it's like learning how to make a plan and not beating yourself up when it doesn't go quite the way you think. For sure. For sure. And I think that's one of the very positive aspects of 
manifestation, positive thinking, all of this is that identification of this is what I want. This is what I imagine for myself. This is what I can visualize for me, but also bringing in that realistic piece of like, we may not all be able to all achieve everything we want and that's okay. Everyone has different skill sets and abilities and really trying to lean into what that is for you. We'll continue the interview on the flip side of a quick message from our sponsors. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. 
I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think that this positive thinking toxic positivity phenomenon is somehow tied in with like kind of the American, uh, you know, being such a privileged and and wealthy country. Like we have too much choice in that sense that like, we're not just in survival mode all the time. So um, we're always trying to manifest great things. And uh, then we get on ourselves when, when they don't come true and, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I know a lot of mental health issues like low key depression and anxiety are from kind of a modern life where we have so many choices and we're told to choose things that make us happy. And in a weird way, it, it if life were simpler, we may not have all of these issues. Yeah, I think you're on to something there. And I feel like it has a lot to do with you know, the American dream, the pursuit of happiness, all these options. I talk about um, happiness scripts in the book, which is something that's like these prescribed methods of achieving happiness in our world that I think a lot of people are afraid to step outside of the lines. Like maybe I don't want to get married. Maybe I don't want to have kids. Maybe I don't want to have this type of career, but we're told like, no, if you do this, you'll be happy. So there's Mm. a, there's a certain pressure there for sure. And I know you said, you know, towards the end of your book, what about opting out of the quest for happiness? You know, looking at a value-driven life versus happiness. Yeah. So what is the what is the difference? I mean, obviously, if we live a value-driven life and it, it's working out, we'll, we'll probably end up feeling happiness as a byproduct, right? Absolutely. So the difference is that in a happiness-driven life, I find that people are so focused on feeling constant happiness that they may be cut people out of their life, don't choose experiences that disrupt mm-hmm. that, etc. With a value-driven life, you're living in line with your values and that means living in line with what's important to you. And when you do that, you discover that those things are probably going to bring you happiness and joy and fulfillment, but they also might be painful and difficult mm. and hard. I, I compare this a lot to parenting that I know for me was a huge wake-up call of like, okay, this makes me happy, but it's also really, really hard. And when you're told that something is only going to make you happy, I think it can be really confusing for people when it's a mixture of emotions. Do you think that there's something to that people feel they're the only one? And I, I get it. You don't know that until you find out that other people feel this way. But isn't it hard when you do find out you're not the only one in a weird way that like, it would almost be easier if you were the only one because it would opt you out of having to do anything about it. It would mean like you're such a rare case that like we're still working on the solution. But once you find out everyone goes through something, it can be hard to be like, oh, well, I guess I, guess I have to get to work on changing that. You know, it can be uh-huh. hard. <laughs> it is. It is. It's so interesting in therapy that I find that people don't want to be alone, but they also want to be very unique. Yes. And so it's like this weird like conundrum of being a human being. I I don't know how you do it because 
I would go crazy. <laughs> they could have the patience. <laughs> I'd be like, you know, the person that came in before you said the same exact thing. Um, you know what? I'm going to go get her. She's still in the waiting room. I would be fired immediately and, you know, have my license taken away. But, um, I, but you talk about the need to feel difficult emotions, right? And so we've talked earlier about like, if you don't feel them, um, it can come up later. But then you talk about some patients of yours that you've talked to. I mean, easier said than done, right? Like, oh, great. I'll, I'll skip the positive thinking and I'll get to feeling my emotions. But how do you do that? I mean, one of your patients was like, I'm fine. And you could see in her face that she wasn't. And maybe she's not connecting to a feeling. So how do you um, teach people to, there's a whole chapter in your book about it, process an emotion, the first step, I think, is really just getting people in touch with their physical bodies. I think a lot of people are only in their heads with their thoughts. Mm. And so trying to figure out, like, what do certain emotions feel like when they manifest for me physically? How can I label them? How can I make them known to me? And once you know what you're feeling, you can give it a name. It's much easier to figure out, what do I need to do about this? What do I have access to? And move yourself through that feeling process. I thought this was so interesting. I mean, I guess I didn't really know this. I never thought about it. But in your book, I'm going to read your own book to you. You define an emotion versus a feeling. And I honestly, I think if you had just asked me, is there a difference? I'd say no. Um, an emotion is a physiological experience like rapid heartbeat or difficulty breathing that gives you information about the world. It's a complex reaction pattern that is determined by the significance of the event. A feeling is your conscious awareness of the emotion itself. That's mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. So feelings are the things we experience in our heads more and emotions in our bodies? Yeah, feelings are more of like the conscious awareness of like giving it a label. So for you, anxiety might be like, uh, sweaty palms, racing heartbeat, your stomach is upset. And you're like, oh, this is anxiety. You're giving it a name. You're making it known to you as a feeling. Other people might identify that as something else. Like, oh, I, I feel excited or I feel scared or there are so many different ways to label and interpret the ways that emotions come up in the body. I'm such a geek about this kind of stuff. It, it makes me so happy. And so lastly on this topic, before I, I want to talk about your Instagram career too, but you talk about not forcing gratitude and you know, I'm actually a big fan of gratitude journals. My listeners have heard me go on and on about this, but I will tell you the, the reason I like them is because I don't feel anything when I'm writing in my gratitude journal. So I try to, it's just a part, it's just a way to like get connected to my um, self in the morning and I handwrite it just so that I don't like immediately start checking email or make coffee, you know. I will just write 10 things I'm grateful for and I don't have to feel it. I'm not sitting there like singing on a mountaintop and feeling spiritual, but it's just very concrete things, you know, mm -hmm. friendships. You know, I don't know. I just looked in the mirror and, hey, I look pretty good. You know, I like that I accept myself today or whatever. And then I now have this notebook of proof of things that are kind of awesome in my life. And so when my ruminations are going or I want to beat myself up, I just can look at what I wrote. You know, no one else wrote it. It's not bullshit. And so I like it. It's like I'm keeping a record. Um, but you're talking about in your book that, you know, again, here comes the shame. It's like we shame ourselves into thinking 
we have to feel gratitude all the time. Yeah. I think gratitude can drift into like toxic positivity territory when we are using it to shame ourselves or as punishment. It sounds like what you're doing is like a very calculated, positive decision to sit down and reflect on those things. Now, if Mm. you were crying about something and really upset and someone was like, you need to be grateful. You should go sit down and write in your gratitude journal. That would probably be a really different experience um, than your morning ritual that you've developed. A hundred percent. And that's the fine line there. I think where it's all about, it's, it's a great tool, but not all tools fit in every situation. And you have to be careful not to tell people that are going through a hard time, you know, like, well, there's starving kids here, or at least it's not that like gratitude, using shame to induce gratitude is not effective. And by the way, like if we are these people that live in a wealthy country and have a pretty good life, like we're in a position to help others and, and shaming ourselves is really not going to help anybody. And so, you know, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't solve any problems at all. But I, I do think that, you know, there's a fine line, right? Like there is something to be said for perspective, which is, which is, um, you know, there's someone going through a hard time and then there can be someone who is like an anxious person who's caught in like negative loopy thinking where they're like literally believing that everything is so hard for them when it's really not. But again, I don't think like gratitude is the solve for that, right? Right. I Perspective is extremely powerful. I just think it's again about the timing yeah. and also thinking about like, how can I organically, a lot like you were doing, notice what's good in my life. So if I'm going through a hard time, I can say like, this has been really hard and I'm so glad I have support of my friends to get through this. And I'm so glad that I had a meal dropped off for me tonight. Like there are ways to validate what you're going through and recognize that something is, is good. Lastly, the word I meant to mention earlier was compassion. That, that seems to be your, um, you know, like for you, like the, the opposite of toxic positivity sounds like it's really like compassion for yourself because there, there isn't a lot of compassion for yourself in, in all of this positive thinking, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think compassion for yourself, accepting what is and, and having hope for the future are like the, the powerful combo (laughs) that we all could benefit from. And self-compassion is like a really good brick on the road to loving yourself. Right. It's like, you can start there at least. Exactly. And so a lot of this talks of positivity is, you know, we see it every day on social media. We see all kinds of horrible things on social media, but there are so many people that whether it is they are some kind of influencer or even just someone who's posting a lot of memes or whatever, you know, social media can be a really hard place to not go into that, like comparing and despairing or not get sucked into wanting to be like these people and do positive thinking, but you have a great, um, social media presence. Like you're known as Instagram's favorite therapist, right? And you have sit with wit. And so how has social media been for lack of a better word, a positive thing for you? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I've really crafted my social media in a way that I'm only following people now that I like to follow. And if someone's making me feel really bad about my life, 
I don't follow them. Um, I'm trying to rework my relationship with social media now because mm-hmm. the algorithm is always changing. They're always wanting you to do something different. Um, yeah. That I feel like I love the community that I've built there. I love being able to interact with people, but I also have to watch myself with how much time I spend dedicated Mm. to that space or even comparing myself to other therapists, other people that are doing, I'm like, oh, she's launching this. She has that. And it can, I can fall into that same trap. It must be so hard because therapy used to be such a literally private practice. And now you can have a social media presence and you can be this kind of surrogate therapist for people before they get help or just to get a different perspective, even if they are in therapy. And it must be hard to not fall into that um, trap of like comparing yourself to others and like trying to push that angle of your career, um, which didn't really exist 10 years ago, you know? For sure. For like sure. you and didn't get into it for Instagram, you know? <laughs> no, no. And and there's definitely like people who think that therapists shouldn't be doing that. There's people who think it's good. It's it's so complicated. It's I am grateful territory. for it. Thank you. I hope you had fun listening to my conversation with Whitney Goodman. And here are the takeaways from our conversation. And again, you can find these on my website, jenkirkman.com, and then click Anxiety Bites. Again, the link will be in the show notes. So toxic positivity is an overarching pressure, a demand to be happy and positive, and seeking that out all of the time, no matter the circumstance. Toxic positivity can be imposed on us from other people, or we can impose it on ourselves, and sometimes it's just a cultural force. When we tell people that the only feeling they can have during a tough time, like the death of a loved one, is hope, and that they need to have a positive outlook, eh, sometimes we're just using hope to try to pull others out of situations that they might actually need to stay in and grieve first. When we suppress our emotions with positive thinking, they can end up intensifying and coming out in other ways. People who say they don't have negative feelings may still have strained relationships, disrupted sleep, wonky eating habits, or substance abuse. Again, all signs that they're not processing and feeling their emotions. If you're trying to suppress or control something that's bothering you with positive thinking, eventually you will see things like anxiety or depression symptoms show up. Turning only to positive thinking can inhibit one's ability to learn how to solve problems and create different types of solutions. The research on positive thinking is that when people insist that things will all work out, they're not engaging in any type of critical thinking of what could go wrong, what problems could develop, what skills do I need to have. It can leave someone feeling inept in situations and wondering why things didn't work out. Anxious people who are able to call out problems and want to do something about it may be more successful at handling things than someone who only practices positive thinking, which can only take you so far until things start to fall apart. Whitney Goodman wants us to normalize and depathologize the human condition and let people know that uncertainty is normal. There's a middle road of uncertainty that can give us gifts of trying to figure out what's important to us, what we want, what we don't want. In not accepting uncertainty, we miss out on data and learning life skills, and we can use uncertainty to our advantage and normalize it within limits. Instead of pushing 
toxic positivity on others, we can validate what's hard for us and for others and also believe in the potential that things could get better and even be great. The problem with relying too heavily on the law of attraction is when the world is cruel and random, it can cause people who have gone through difficult things to conclude that they attracted their illness or their trauma because of something they did. The law of attraction can venture into toxic positivity when people are constantly on edge about their thoughts and what they're attracting to themselves. The notion of manifesting can be toxic when there's a dynamic of blaming the victim. The person we should be supporting and helping through something is instead hearing that they did this to themselves and they should be more positive next time. The human brain really likes certainty, and so we create narratives where even if the narratives are bad or punishing us, we still feel better because we feel like we know why something happened. Research shows that positive affirmations don't actually work well for people with low self-esteem. Being told to say things like, I love myself, can bring up feelings of shame, and this person will end up looking for reasons to reject the notion or get caught in a negative spiral. Whitney works with clients on more believable and dynamic affirmations. Instead of saying, I love myself, she would suggest affirming something like, I am trying to love myself, or I am working on loving myself, or even something more specific, like, I show myself love by drinking water, or I show myself love by going to bed at night. When people with low self-esteem are told to affirm, I love myself many times a day, what they're doing may be in direct conflict with that like not eating well, not sleeping, not going outside, those aren't the actions of someone who loves themselves. There are, of course, positive aspects of manifesting, such as the identification of knowing what you want, learning to imagine something for yourself, and being able to visualize it, but also bring in that realistic piece of accepting that we may not all be able to achieve everything we want, and that's okay. Looking at trying to create a value-driven life versus a happiness-driven life is one way out of the trap of toxic positivity. Choosing a value-driven life, you're living in line with what's important to you instead of avoiding experiences that disrupt in order to stay, quote, happy. And living a value-driven life will most likely bring you to things that provide joy and fulfillment. As a therapist, Whitney sees a weird conundrum of being human, and that is that people don't want to feel alone in their problems, but they also want to be very unique. An emotion is a physiological complex reaction pattern that is determined by the significance of the event. A feeling is your conscious awareness of the emotion itself. And the opposite of toxic positivity isn't negative thinking, but instead having compassion for yourself, accepting what is, and having hope for the future. Again, if you would give this podcast a five-star review, a positive but not toxically positive review on iTunes and Spotify that will help other people find the podcast, which helps me maybe do another season of this show. So the more people that listen, the better the chances of that. And you have that all in your hands. So please go write a five-star review. You can even just give it five stars and write, love it something simple. Send me an email, anxietybitesweekly at gmail.com if you would like to submit your tips and tricks for your anxiety disorder, if you have any questions or just want to make a general comment about any episode. And as well, you can find everything you need to know about Whitney Goodman in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. And remember, Anxiety Bites 
that you're in control. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.